you know, more and more um, you look at the market, there's, there's more marketeers that um, have, you know, the, the data skill set, the technology skill set, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, depending on which part of the art and the science you yeah. do, mm -hmm. you will have different skills that are required. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism, scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict. And I'm Richard. Today, we're joined by... Gonzalo Garcia Villanueva. That was pretty good. Much better pronunciation than most of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we, we will run with that as an acceptable pronunciation. But Gonzalo, do you want to just maybe use 60 to 90 seconds just to give the audience a little bit of background about who you are? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, currently, as you said, as global CMO at GFK, I've been um, a marketeer for over 20 years, which makes me feel a bit old now. Um, Funny enough, I'm, I'm an engineer, actually, technology engineer by trade. But my first uh, role um, was in solutions and marketing department uh, in, in Fujitsu, a very large IT company. And very quickly, I, after doing an MBA, I, I changed into marketing. I felt like that was the perfect place to be to cover technology, but not all day mm -hmm. <laughs> and be a bit more creative. Um, so I spent 11 years there. Then I stayed um, sort of in the tech world by moving to Bloomberg, which is financial technology. Um, amazing company, amazing experience as we were really building a, a, a new marketing function there. And I stayed there for almost nine years. And then I've been in this amazing journey in, in GFK, transforming the brand and the company for the last two and a half years. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's been a, it's been an exciting journey, a big technological, a bit marketing, which for me is, a, is the fun bit. Excellent. And I think that that's actually a really nice segue to what we're talking about today, um, which is the art and science of marketing leadership. And clearly what you've described there is, you know, combining that sort of technical science background coming through engineering with, I think you alluded to, the sort of the art of marketing. Um, but before we sort of like get really deep into the conversation, it would be good if we can sort of get to a provocative truth around um, marketing leadership. So I'm just wondering from your perspective, if we've got this sort of dimension of art and science and that, that sort of tension between the two, are marketing leaders getting that right? Or from your perspective, are people really misunderstanding what that sort of balance needs to be? Um, when, I, when I think about striking that balance between art and science, you know, and, and whether we're getting it right, I think about two areas. Mm. Um, one is just literally, you know, art um, being fed by science and science working for the art piece, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's a new thing. It's just that, you know, mastering that piece is, it's, it's very, um, com you know, complex. And in particular, 20 years ago, I don't think we were striking the right balance. There was a lot of people doing, you know, the art piece, which is creative, mm -hmm. just for the sake of, you know, beautiful creative. And, and let's face it, one of the reasons why I love my job is because us marketeers own that piece of creative, which mm -hmm. is beautiful, right? But, but we've been dinged for being like smoke and mirrors because we were just running beautiful campaigns. So we need to run beautiful campaigns, but they have a, to have a very clear objective, normally data, the science side mm -hmm. of things is what should be informing 
before a campaign, the strategy and the targeting, during the campaign, the execution, post-campaign, what's worked and what hasn't. So I think one aspect is in general that we're getting it better, but nobody you know, nails it every single time. And I think mm-hmm. we need to remind ourselves. The second one, which is more recent, is the, is the new reality, which is the fact that, you know, Technology is completely different. Um, you know, to when I when I started, you know, obviously email existed, website and so on. That was a lot of my work, you know, 22, 23 years ago when I was in Fujitsu. But the level of technology available to all of us and, and actually the price points for many of them, if you think about the Mark stack, um, the technology stack, you know, required quite a lot of money a few years ago if you wanted to have a proper, you know, content manager and or a CRM system, automation and so on. Right now there's options, right? So so that, that definitely helps, you know, marketeers, um, you know, capture that data or that science and then fit it almost real time mm-hmm. to your to your creative. Um, and and in general, the other one is that now there is a challenge that we need to capture the purpose of the company in everything we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, I think, you know, back in the day, even if you strike the right balance of art and creative, you do beautiful campaigns, they might deliver great results, but the market themselves, whether you're in B2B or B2C, it just doesn't tolerate a company that is in a ruthless fashion, just making tons of money and taking more from you know, the society or the countries mm-hmm. than it is giving in. It's, it's absolutely fine, and actually companies should be profitable, but they should be supporting their employees in growing up. It should be, you know, thoughtful about, you know, sustainability and whether they have a, they can achieve a, you know, cyclical, you know, uh, economy and so on and so forth. They, they need to, you know, be thoughtful about how their own organization um, treats their employees in terms of diversity and inclusion and their own consumers and clients, right? So, so I think now it's, it's even more complex because it's striking the balance between art and science for purpose. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that, you know, technology is there at the rescue, if I if I may, uh, but it does require a new skill set. So that's a massive change that makes a lot of marketeers right nowadays feel very uncomfortable. And in you talk about this sort of the the uncomfort le- discomfort level rather, and the fact that actually it's a changing skill set. When you look at marketing in general, and obviously you have interactions with marketers from all sorts of different companies, doesn't need to be exclusively to GFK. Where do you think that sort of skill level and experience? is in relation to actually what's needed for the modern marketer? Well, I think it, de- it depends a little bit on, on which market you're talking about. Um, I happen as GFK, you know, to be exposed, luckily for me, to many CMOs in the B2C side, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, being much more data-centric is something that um, some of the industries in the B2C have started doing earlier than B2B, mm-hmm. probably. Um, and even within B2C, you see much different, massive differences between, I don't know, some of the fast-moving consumer goods or, or some luxury brands and, and some other, you know, less mature markets in, in you know, I don't know, tech and durables. Mm. Um, so, so it is a very different stages, in my opinion. Um, mm. I think certainly, you know, when I talk to other peers, um, there, the, there is a sense that the data centricity is needed. Actually, we are doing a, a, a piece of research with a CMO council um, right now. And what we found out is like 80% of the of the CMOs and the leadership feels like, you know, data centricity um, and data and insight systems are needed to win and retain clients. Now, only one in three marketing leaders feel like they have it nailed down, like mm-hmm. in terms of data analytics and other, you know, insight systems. Only one in three feels like they have a, a decent system or mm-hmm. a very good, right? So, so I think everybody's aware of it. 
mm. but it's getting there in terms yeah. of building it. And I'm, you know, I'm when when I read those results, I I think about it as in the data and the technology, but also the people. Like you yeah. need to hire people that have those skill sets, or you know, just train them. Like you know, mm. sometimes you already have the talent. It's it's just you know making sure that you have the development plans in there. So do you think it's relation it's related to the the, the the talent equation rather than a lack of budget and investment within the right sort of like systems? That, that's where the sort of focus needs to be. Uh, I, I personally think that it's, it's more about investment and focus. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, more and more um, you look at the market, there's there's more marketeers that um, have, you know, the, the data skill set, the technology skill set, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So, um, depending on which part of the art and the science you yeah. do, mm-hmm. you will have different skills that are required. Um, I just, I just think some companies are being much more aggressive investing and mm. focusing on that. Sometimes it's not even about money, right? Like yeah, yeah. sometimes you do have development plans for your own staff, and and you just don't drive them, you know, aggressively enough. Mm. So, I think the ones that are nailing it, um, you know, and, and have maybe perceived that this is uh, a critical truth and they have invested, you know, much more aggressively. Mm. And we've seen that in COVID a lot, you know, mm. I think a lot of people will, will look at previous disruption before COVID and think, well, you know, that, that's just one disruption, I'll just hedge my position and then just yeah. continue. And and what COVID has shown is that, you know, you need to embrace change because now it's happening all the time. Like, I mean, we, we all were hoping that COVID will be completely behind us mm. by 2022 and that, you know, um, we will be back to our pre- you know previous, let's say, processes. Um, mm-hmm. And let's face it, right now with inflation, disruption, the war, and everything else, like you know, um, it's it's as disruptive and and as volatile as it gets. So you know, the people that has understood that in that volatility, you need to react very quick, and for that, you need real time data, mm-hmm. and people to read it, have invested on it. So I think people, you know, people are available out there. And as I said, it's not always about hiring talent, yeah. it's sometimes training your own talent. Like you, you might have the right marketeers, but you just need to build the culture of mm-hmm. being data-driven. So, so that's an I- interesting point. So I think we'll get on to the data point subsequently, but around the, the talent piece, mm-hmm. obviously you're a CMO, um, and the role of a CMO has evolved quite substantially over the last number of years due to some of the factors you mentioned and the natural evolution as well. Um, are you able to um, articulate or explain the role, uh, your role in impacting the marketing's uh, marketing's ability to nurture talent through the organisation? What What do you look for to work with your marketing leadership to ensure that the right talent is getting recognized and they're getting what they need to develop in, in the organization? Um, that's a great question. And, and this, I guess, a lot of ways, ways to peel that onion. Um, peel you know, onion. In, in the last couple of, in the last couple of years, um, you know, we, we probably, especially in 2020, did, um, I did less than I would like on that one because probably in the middle of COVID, you know, marketing teams were sometimes um, surviving a bit more, right? You were in the really nice and really bad situation where the CEO will turn to you to say, you know, we're, we, we, we have challenges on revenues here and there because, you know, COVID has disrupted some of our clients. Um, you know, some of our clients include hotels or airlines, mm-hmm. right? So clearly they, they were having a hard time to really um, buy data, for example, right? So so probably didn't focus as much as I would like on, on, on the development piece because it was my first year and I was transforming the function and so on. But... Even even in that year, we started thinking. The first thing we did is audit. What is the skill set? 
um, that I was available in there. Um, and, and going back to the science and, and art was funny enough, but I actually see it a bit like that. I, I built these centers of excellence, which is a little bit more like the art piece, right? Content team and events team, you know, there was pockets of that, but in many cases, it didn't even exist or was not formalized. And then, you know, the science piece probably been more about the marketing managers, regional or product marketing managers that do the planning, orchestration and so on, but then they are responsible for going to the operations team and extracting the data. So once you do that audit and you understand what you got, then we started to build an education program. Um, and, and there is, you know, more strategic, you know, training for, you know, people to really start to be more data centric, why you need to be data centric, how to report back, we call it, there's one session, we call it the, the mentality, the, the ROI mentality, right? So making sure that from from someone writing copy or creating, pro, you know, um, um, content, an event manager mm -hmm. or, a, you know, regional marketing manager in, in Brazil or in China, that everybody knows that we are doing activities for a reason, which, again, goes back to the theme again and again and again. Um, so I think high level, we, we have, you know, that drive to extract that balance between data and, and art. And then we have tactical training, you know, and, and the tra tactical training will depend on your role. Again, we have people in the operations team that are really like, I don't know, like chief analysts, mm. right? Like people that really understand data inside out and how to extract insights from the data. And some of the other people is just more about, you know, setting an expectation. If you run a digital campaign, you need to do this, this and that. So. So there is that level of like high level strategic, you know, development and then the, the tec technical development. And the rest of it is really about culture, right? Like, you know, how do you run your meetings? How do you, how do you run your reviews quarterly yeah. and so on and so forth? If you make it part of it, uh, that you're both elevating, you know, beautiful creative, but also that you, you only do it when there's results on the back of it or learnings, then, then, um, you, you start to really see the outcome, see your own people talking yep. to each other yeah. in that, using the same language, right? Um, and when you're thinking about the structure of the team, the perfect balance, if you like, are you expecting people like the data analysts and, and the people that are working on the science to purely work on the science and then the more creative individuals to purely work on the art? Or is it really important from a CMO's perspective to ensure there's quite a degree of crossover for people to you know, maximise the, the potential? Uh, you know, again, 20 some years doing marketing and only three companies because I was very excited with all three of them. Right. So, um, so, you know, you, you end up getting really deep into the culture of each company. Each of them was very different and they required a different marketing function. Um, I don't believe in CMOs that come in and just deploy that blueprint. The same, yeah. same, the yeah. same way. I don't, I don't think it works just because you've done it for a 1 billion dollar company, I come to GFK, which makes more than $1 billion a year. And I say, well, I've done it here. It's just very different. Mm. We, you know, now, in general terms, a couple of guidelines that I've always thought about, I, I personally think you need both extremes, you do need some specialists that they, they need to have a basic understanding of your offering, and not, not only the marketing offering, but the company's offering, mm. but they can be very specialized, right? We have one champion that actually knows everything inside out from our BI tools, the other systems that need to be connected. And when I say, hey, I got questions from the ELT, uh, from the C-suite mm -hmm. about this or that, how can we extract that kind of signal um, for them? They will know how to do that, right? And in the other extreme, you will have you know, a creative person, a copywriter, like an event planner. They're as, as specialized as it gets. I do think that there is these business marketing managers in the middle that have to understand enough of everything else to because they're the glue between all the others right mm -hmm. um 
they do the planning. In order to plan, you need to understand the basics. Like you know, when you when you do planning, you need to have stakeholder management, you know, skills, of course, ask the right questions, you know, and know what are the problems we are not trying to solve. And then you need to understand the marketing mix, what your centers of excellence or the RT people can do, so that you can start to recommend a solution with them, right? Mm -hmm. So you need a little bit of like the extremes and then a few marketing managers that really broker it. I think if you think about agency and probably you guys mm. will know about these much more than me, but I have a few really successful marketeers coming from the agency background mm. because account managers tend to be that person that understands the, the video people, the content, the creative, whatever, whatever. They're not experts on an individual skill, right? But they know how to brief. They know yeah. how to orchestrate. So I guess cool. the answer, the answer is, is, an, is a hybrid. Yeah, no, and um, I think it's an expected answer. So I, I think you're right, though. When you draw parallels to the agency world, you know, in that account handling position, you're you're exposed to so much, and you need to bring a number of different things together. It's obviously quite similar, I think. Just um, going back to something you said there, which was I think very interesting around the one-size-fits-all uh, approach to marketing. We're in an era now where the average tenure of CMOs has decreased. Mm -hmm. um, in your experience or opinion, obviously it's slightly different for you because you've only had a, a number of different roles, but um, in your your feeling, I suppose, do you think that because the average tenure of CMOs has decreased and the willingness to just come in with this kind of attitude of I've done this somewhere else so I'm going to replicate the same here the cookie cutter approach do you think that's hampered is there more emphasis now on the science rather than the art because the science the data ultimately informs the ability to make quicker decisions rather than you know, the creative do you think that the sh the shortening of the average CMO tenure has affected the balance between the art and the science um if, if you know, if I shoot from the hip, I would say that that the challenge, you know, that the current CMO has, yes, has affected that. I think, you know, whether you um, completely succeed actually and do a bit of a breakthrough, then you become very popular and mm. you get poached by a bigger fish, right? Mm. And if you're not, you know, if, if there are really high expectations on the CMO and you don't deliver on the first two or three years, you know then you're out on the fourth year. And I think the average is probably around four years, if, if I'm not mistaken, or even less. Yeah. Um, I should start packing. Um, <laughs> so, so I think, yes, the, the, the pressure is there. I think, you know, the, 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 the great thing about being a CMO is that, you know, more and more the C-suite is turning to the CMO for opportunities to grow, to retain talent and everything else. And, and the bad thing, um, is that they turn to you for growth and retention of your talent and so on. Like, there's much more pressure. I prefer to live with that. Like, you know, 15 years ago, especially on B2B, you were always in more of a supporting mm -hmm. function. So I do, I do think that that's the case. There is a lot of CMOs, as you may have seen in the market, that actually don't have a, a pure marketing background. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I will consider myself pure marketing background, if, even if I'm an engineer, I've done 22 years of one role and a couple of years more technical, right? So, so mainly marketing. Um, and, and the strength is that they understand the business and the, and the science beautifully, and they need to equip themselves with a marketing board that actually has the people that translates that kind of like business mm. and science into. So that's how they would make it work. But the other probably, you know, breed or successful CMO that I'm seeing is, is actually very close to the art. 
very close to being the ambassador of the purpose of the company, you know, their employees, you know, the, the ESG uh, agenda uh, with everything, sustainability, diversity, inclusion, and so on and so forth. But just, just started to talk the language of the C-suite, right? So I see, and that's, you know, if you ask me, that's the person that I would like to, yeah, I aspire to be every day on a CMO, rather than the, I'm only about data, but being the person that can master, you know, marketing mix, you know, for a really good purpose, but not with fluffy data, like showing results every day, yeah. you know, to the, to the board. And listen, it's not just, you know, pipeline generation. Like we all know that you can also measure things like, you know, awareness, perception, consideration, and so on and so forth. So, so I see those, those two extremes actually being quite successful, but, but I'm not surprised that it, many others have found it challenging and, you know, it's less than four years now. And, it's and, scary. And, and, you, and you spoke earlier around sort of now the C-suites are increasingly coming to the CMO and, you know, it's around growth and it's around retention, as you, you were just talking about that. Do you think that that um, increasing sort of strategic role that the CMO is playing, has that happened organically? Or do you feel it's a product of certain CMOs negotiating that position within the, the C-suite? Well, uh, you know, the first thing that I would say is that in the C-suite, there's a better understanding of marketing. Mm -hmm. It's not a great understanding of marketing, but it's certainly much better than it was uh, ages ago, right? Um, without well, mentioning any names. But why is that? <laughs> what has changed? <laughs> um, you know, you, see, you start to see some brands out there that are performing really well. They ask out loud, um, you know, how do they do it? And someone will go like, they do great marketing. Or they've got they, they just great say, brand. okay, I need to educate mm -hmm. myself a yeah. bit more. So I think in that sense, you know, there is a slightly better understanding. And I, you know, I'm not going to mention any particular brands, but you know, I've been in, I've been in, in, in organizations where, <laughs> where you had to do a lot of that education internally. So I think, mm. yes, part of that is, you know, whether you organically in, internally yeah. have the grit and the tenacity to stick around and start to one by one win over all the stakeholders or quite simply because, you know, some, some CEOs just understand that to take the next step, um, um, you do need to actually probably invest a bit more heavily on that. It's also true that you have much better, you know, case studies, you know, like you now can actually Google it and find sometimes the percentage of the total revenue that is spent on marketing. You see Salesforce spending, you know, double digits, you know, um, and then people go like, oh, wow, this, I'm probably not spending a lot, right? Because they are spending 1% or something like that, whilst the average in the industry is, is around 9, 10%, right? So I think it's both organically within the organizations, yeah. people doing well, you know, sticking around, you know, turning people around one by one, but then externally you can see it. I mean, yeah. uh, some of the most successful companies are spending, yeah. are investing heavily on marketing. Okay. And if we have to think about, which we, we often don't, I mean, we're, we're being slightly sort of like focused on, on marketing within the context of the podcast, and, you know, I think right, rightly so. But ultimately, the C-suite are a team. And yes, they've got a responsibility to represent whatever vertical that they are, you know, responsible for. But also they need to be operating as a cohesive team to be solving sort of bigger strategic challenges. From your perspective, what is the role that the modern CMO should play within that sort of composition of a CEO, CFO, COO, etc.? Well, the, I think that's one of the probably going back to the challenges of the new CMO. That's one of the problems right now is that the role of the CMO has expanded massively, mm -hmm. right? 
So you have a massive box there, which is just doing good marketing. Yeah. And do good marketing is you know striking the right art, um, you know, and science balance, then showing it mm. to the rest of the organization, proving the value, of showing the ROI. So traditional stuff that probably I was doing ten years ago, right? But you know, let's face it. If sometimes you know you you, you we all face tough you know meetings where you're saying something that just kind of like makes tons of sense in your experience but you know it just bounces like people like, don't, don't get what mm -hmm. you're trying to say or the solution that you're trying to implement and so on and so forth and you go like well it, probably that's lack of understanding that's not someone else's problem it's your problem like education you know over the board in marketing now the marketing is becoming more central to the operations of an organization is, is crucial so i think every cmo should take that to heart that le a, a different level but a certain level of understanding of each of the c's is needed. Yeah. So, you know, I always say uh, recently in a presentation and a keynote, I was talking about the, 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 the need for all marketeers, but CMOs in particular to be bold, mm. bold enough. Like if we're managing so many like, you know, tech solutions, we should be working very close with the CTO and have a say on the digital transformation agenda, right? Be very vocal about it. If you're talking to the HC, you know, chief HR officer, you, you shouldn't just, you know, Think about what can we do mm. to support them to recruit and and um, retain people. We should be the ambassadors of that of that kind of like purpose. And if you feel the company is not loud enough about a particular letter of the ESG, you should have a voice. Therefore, you have to go quite deep into those topics with the HR officer. The CEO needs to understand everything, both the art and the science. Mm. And the CFO needs a lot of the science. Like yeah. You need to skew towards the science like crazy. Right? So <laughs> that makes the job of the, of the, of the CMO a bit more yeah. challenging. Um, to me, more exciting. Yeah, Definitely. No, I, I think it's refreshing that. also to, uh, to hear you talk in those terms because it's quite a popular topic of conversation within the, the context of this podcast where we're talking about there's a lack of understanding from other parts of the business of marketing and how it's the marketer's job, therefore, to try and educate those other divisions about marketing but actually we don't often look enough about look at the other way around where there is a responsibility for the marketer to learn about other parts of the business and to be you know completely conversant in the issues but of I operations think, and finance but and I actually think that that is the main shift as to why CMOs have now got more of a seat at the board mm. table uh, quite possibly because so because they have understood that they need to understand more mm. about the other areas of the business uh, whereas previously they were maybe you know, quite siloed from the the, the operating mm. financial impacts and maybe even the sales teams within the organisations, and I think that I'm 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 at risk of generalising here, but if you think about the 90s, there was a massive clamour to, yeah, obviously I've read back, I didn't I don't remember it myself. Um, uh, there was a massive clamour for uh, C CFOs to become CEOs. You know, I'm generalising, but a lot of finance individuals then became the CEOs of the organisations. And then in the early noughties, uh, that, there was a bit of a shift by the seams of it to more sales leaders becoming CEOs in organisations. Do you think that the next wave of modern CEOs will come from marketing within organisations? Well, that is an interesting question, right? Um, I, I sit here as a CMO at GFK, um, and the the CEO that hired me, uh, it's uh, you know a, a marketeer by trade. Um, he, he's you're in a, a slightly different position as a business, though, yeah. because obviously you're a marketing 
orientated organization. But yeah, I know. Okay, yeah, great. Exactly. But but I do see more of those examples. You so do. like being a kind of like it, it was it was refreshing because being a guy that come comes from you know managing massive brands at Procter and Gamble and others yeah. and had been a CEO in a number of companies. You know, it was it was great to have you know insightful conversations about marketing strategy with him sometimes he was he would get too much into the weeds right um but but funny enough um you know our current ceo was the cfo yeah okay so, right. so you see actually even in the last two and a half years i've seen both um and and listen it is true that the discussions and the conversations are slightly different and then the the how much do you present of art versus yes versus science when you're doing a, a bit of a monthly or quarterly uh, review is, is different. I think commercial leaders have been, you know, um, a very natural CEO progression, you know, back in the day. I, I guess mm. we will continue to see that. But certainly um, I, I do see more, more CMOs there, but I mm. still think it, it lags probably commercial it, and product even like that. And I think this is probably where we're going to be seeing the shift. And I think there is the data to start to back this up anyway. But we're actually seeing that people coming from a CIO, CTO background are making that step up. You know, there's a bit of a cliche thing, but every company is becoming a tech company as we go through these digital transformations and we move to digital business models. So I think that almost probably the lesson from a sort of a marketing perspective is what you said earlier, which is a marketer really needs to be conversant when it comes to digital transformation and be part of leading that um, conversation with their CTO counterparts around the role of data, around the role of technology within an organization to make sure that they are have that foundation to take up a step up into a CEO position. Yeah, that, that's, that's a very good question. Uh, the thing is, we go back to the discussion about art and science. And before I was, you know, criticizing mm. pure art for the sake of art, right? Yeah. I would also criticize, you know, a lot of marketeers that have relied solely on data mm. um, to save their jobs, right? Um, and, and have even been, in, in many cases, very conservative with the art just because, you know, the, what they wanted is to, to, to retain their jobs, basically, <laughs> or to just get investment for the next year, yeah. right? Like using the data just more as support rather than enlightenment, right? Mm. Um, so I will also criticize that. But the truth is, you know, by having that control of the art mix, the marketing mix, mm. the data has enabled that growth of the CMO and the board. Like that, that whole piece about being dinged for like, or, or being perceived as smoke and mirrors um, gradually something that marketing leaders around the world yeah. are getting rid of um, thanks to that data. So you tend to see that, to your point about technology leaders, mm -hmm. um, you tend to see that CMOs these days have been succeeding and you see them in some of the top roles mm. um, in, in both B2C and B2B are very technological, technically, mm. you know, quite very capable um, and certainly very data driven. Yeah. And well, to give a counterbalance to that sort of, as you say, that leaning towards that technological side, and this is partly because Maddie is furiously gesturing at me <laughs> to, to wrap it up because I'm over time. Um, so the closing question that we have um, is, is all related to this idea that we feel that B2B marketing needs to be visceral. You know, it's something you need to feel as well as just intellectually engage with. So talking around sort of the importance of art and intuition as, as you were there, what was the last piece of creative that you saw which really moved you, you know, that, that stimulated that emotional response and, you know, ma made you feel differently in relation to that? I, I, you know, as much as I hate boring marketing and I, you know, and I hate when people just assume that B2B marketing has to be boring. Yeah. 
totally agree with your comment. I, I think at the end of the day, whether you're selling to a sales organization or a, you know, like a procurement guy mm. or whoever, they are humans, right? Like, like all of us, we like, you know, food, traveling, <laughs> and, and everything else. We'll have our agenda and sustainability, or whatever. So, so you know, you, you do want human marketing. It's true that um, you know you, you can go further probably with B two C, right? So, so in B two B, you know, not not as exciting as I would say a, a Nike. Um, but you know, Monday.com has mm. has done a fantastic job. You know, if you look at their communications and in particular the different levels of video, video at the brand level, top of the funnel, video then closer to the product, they, they make it quite fun. Mm -hmm. They're making quite a lot of money as well, and and then the targeting is fantastic, right? Like how they how they you know do data driven targeting through whether it's YouTube channels yep. or email and so on and so forth, and they do it real time. So so it's beautiful. Obviously, you know, it probably doesn't make me feel like, you know, when I've seen some of the diversity, diverse, you know, uh, videos from Nike, I happen to be a, you know, a runner and I ran marathons and I had, and I switched to, to Nike from another brand recently in the last three or four marathons. And, and, and it does get me to my guts when I see some of the, you know, um, videos you've seen recently, like in, you know, disabled athletes in, 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 in the Olympics. They had a beautiful execution and a really clear message, which mm. is fantastic. Um, some of the recent videos of you know people really getting over you know the biggest barriers in life, um, um, you know diversity and inclusion related videos like you know the stuff that they've done to push for for you know um, female leadership and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that I keep rubbing in my leadership team is like their new. Um, kind of like purpose video is done by their CEO. I'm like, it shouldn't be me. It should be yeah. you, the CEO, doing our video there. So I think Monday.com makes it very relatable, even if it's a B2B uh, solution. Mm -hmm. um, they, they make it fun. Uh, it's very smart and it's very targeted. But on the B2C world, you see examples like Nike. And, you know, listen, I, I grew up playing basketball with Michael Jordan and mm. and their their stuff, you know, back then in, in the 90s was amazing. Yeah. What, playing basketball with Michael Jordan? I wish, <laughs> I wish. I have seen him in the US, which, right, is, okay. which was amazing because... Yeah. Um, as you can tell by my accent, I'm, I'm, I'm Spanish. So I started learning English in, in the US when I was like 12, 13 years old. And I coincided with there, you know, seeing, seeing them play against the, 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 the San Francisco team, the Golden State. And that was like a, the moment of my life. And yeah, he's, he's even bigger in person than <laughs> he is in TV. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, I think that the, look, clearly um, there is not necessarily going to be the same sort of like territories for which B2B can occupy, as we've just talked about with Nike. But fundamentally, you know, if you do boil it down to a, a human truth or a human experience that you need to respond to, you can tell really, really powerful stories that move people in a visceral sense as well as a sort of mental sense as well. And I think that that, that discipline is something which B2B marketers need to remember. And if you put yourself through the process, it can be really enlightening where you can end up um, rather than just discounting it from the, the word go. So, you know, it's great in terms of using the Monday as an example, but yeah. 200%. And, and you heard me before saying that now the challenge is art and science for purpose. Yeah. When I explain this to my team, I say, you know, purpose is kind of like the soul of your company. And whether it's a little bit of it or a lot of it, but in every product campaign, even if it's a very technical product, the soul of the company should be in it. Mm. And if you if you nail that and then you treat the buyers as humans, absolutely. The magic happens. Like the videos tend to be not dull, connect with them at a different level and actually trigger more results. So I think it's a is a perfect combination, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. 
Any closing thoughts? Well, the, well obviously, the, the prevailing trait, even though we didn't speak about it too much, was obviously marketers need to take more risks, potentially, when it comes to the art side of things. Um, but then when it comes to speaking to the, the board and um, you know ensuring that the marketing has a seat at that table, it's about making sure that marketing is understanding the nuances between different roles and responsibilities amongst that C-suite. But I like the way that you described it, Benny, about everyone needing to think about them play all playing a part as the same team for an organization um so if you're a cmo listening or a senior marketer get closer to your cfo your cto and your, your chief sales officer to make sure you're all singing from the same hymn sheet excellent and um, you know maybe we have cfos to tuning in as well you never know there we go <laughs> anyway, thanks very much gonzalo that was fantastic thank you Great. thank you thank for you very having much. me Thank you. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.